Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is an amazing CMO, and that is Kevin Morasco. Now, every CMO I've ever spoken to on this podcast is brilliant. Kevin no doubt has that going, but he's also a ton of fun and it's truly genuine. And you'll see that everywhere with Kevin. Even if you go to his LinkedIn and just play his name the way it's to be pronounced, you'll have a fun lead in to that name pronunciation. Now, the idea of fun is something that really carries through this entire episode. And after all, as he puts it, marketing should be fun. It's something that gets people to lean in more and more. Now, that's not as easily done as we may think. There's a lot of brands that Kevin tells you about that like to lead with enterprise jargon. But in many ways, we can actually be a consumer-like brand no matter who we might be selling to. And he's done this at companies you may not expect it with. Companies in the benefit space, the recruitment space. Now he's in healthcare. These are areas that often we think about being stodgy old brands that usually have to live within certain guardrails. Kevin's view is to break through in whatever industry you may be in, you can be more of an advisor by still having fun and talking to people in a way that they want to tune into. Here's my chat with Kevin. Kevin, I am super pumped to have you on this podcast. You have worked for some amazing brands, some challenging ones too. I mean, we could go into Zenefits at some point here and probably get amazing stories. But right off the bat, I want to start with Tebra. This is a massive company in itself. I think you told me it's not even a unicorn company anymore, but it's a Centaur. Uh, You're going to have to define that at some point. But let's start with what drew you in beyond that mystical creature name. Yeah, Randy, well, stoked to be on. Thanks for for having me. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Really, what drew me into Tebra um, after you know doing a few of these things, I, I really want to apply what I've learned to try to do something for for good. And I saw a big opportunity to do that with Tebra. I've you know been fortunate to be part of a lot of digital transformation companies that are trying to disrupt an age-old space and modernize it, make it better for everybody. And I think what could be a bigger one than healthcare? It's right. like you roll it up. It's the biggest industry in the United States. And you know, I'd argue one of the most efficient. In fact, it's mind-boggling to me sometimes. Like, you know, I, my last kid that I had, I go into the doc, you know, to get stuff done. And it's like, we're literally like on clipboards and paper and faxes. It is just nuts. And uh, so I see, saw a huge opportunity for modernization and to transform the industry, but also one that really, really matters. You know, it's truly a matter. Um, this impacts people's lives and well-being. And I thought, hey, if I could apply some of the things I've learned and many of the mistakes I've made to um, do good, that was, that was really, yeah, that was the ultimate, you know, and also saw a great team, culture, people that are really fired up about this mission. You know, the last thing I, that, that was really exciting is just the, the people and team. And that's a huge driver of the culture. And I think, you know, the older I get in my career, you know, I, I say, you know, life's short. And so try to be smart and only want to 
work with great teams and people in a great culture and saw, saw that in Tebra. That's awesome. And honestly, first of all, I was literally at a doctor's office this morning, pulling my hair out at a lack of technology process that exists. I won't go there or describe to you the details, but I think we've all experienced that frustration. More broadly, anyone listening can relate to that opportunity in an industry that's clearly big enough for disruption with enough opportunity in different segments. But that leads me to a question about your career and how you've picked winners because you've been with companies that have achieved thousand percent plus year over year growth. And a lot of us say to ourselves, to do that, I'm going to go to a super early stage concept and I'm going to try and redefine a space that's broken in some sort of way. But you seem to be doing it at companies like HireVue and Zenefits. These are not new companies. Now at Tebra, I think it's already over a hundred million in ARR. How do you find that company that still has massive growth potential, even though they've, I don't want to say peaked, but they've started to hit massive growth before you've arrived? Yeah, it's a great question. And I've evolved my thinking on this over the years. At first I had a mindset similar as like, oh, if it's really early stage, you know, we could hit a triple a home run here's what this could look like and it's easier to get the you know you know you're so early there's a lot of upside and you know now i'm finding like these companies that the ceiling's getting higher i guess is the best way i describe it right uh, it used to be oh wow you get to 100 million now it's like okay well what's next we can get to a billion in arr and it's it's fascinating um just you know part of this i think is the maturity and evolution of the cloud and you know, so much more that's, that's taken place. You know, it used to be like, how big could these companies get? And now realizing, wow, there's opportunity, so much upside, like we just talked about in healthcare, right? Like think you start combining this across adjacent categories and there's just so much opportunity. So I'm, the first thing I'm looking for is the upside. You know, what what's our, you know, vision? What's our North Star? How big could this be? And then what, what does that do? Like, what impact does that have on society? What impact does it have on people's lives? And if there's a big, if we have an exciting North Star and realize, wow, here's what this thing can do, you know, then the rest of the self, you know, the rest of the stuff, economics and stuff can take care of themselves. But I'm looking for the, the upside, where the market currently is, where we want it to go. Um, and then our propensity to be able to get there. And then that's why I'm looking at, you know, where does the company sit in the market landscape? Doesn't necessarily need to be the leader. Um, you know, that could be sometimes that's exciting to be the underdog and go overtake something because you're, you know, you're, you're going in a different direction. And so definitely looking at market position though, but then the, the kind of core, con you know, fundamentals of, of the business in terms of how it's uh, performing and you know current assets and differentiation and, and and the team of course right and so what what's our likelihood you know look, looking kind of at the market the playing field so to speak and then then you know the folks and components we have the you know on deck to be able to execute i like how you've broken that out and it actually leads me to another thing i've been very curious about you've got some great content written about you and your leadership style out there on the web from what I've read, you bring such an energy and a passion to what you do. That seems to come from a branding background. But how have you adapted or positioned yourself to be more of that full stack CMO? Because at this stage of your career, you're working with large organizations where I'm sure branding is a big piece of it. And I'm sure take Zenefits again, there was probably some heavy brand work to do. 
but how have you rounded yourself out? As I look back, a lot of it's been accidental. I think if I were to, you know, give my younger self advice, I'd say that's super important to round yourself out and try different things in different areas. I, I just find that to be valuable in general to be able to up level, you know, the game. And so it's so, you know, my past been by necessity. And I think like in a, in a few of these situations, you know, I was building marketing from the ground up, right? So you have nothing. And so it forces you to think strategically as a problem solver, what do we need to do first? And it needs to be driven from the business, not just like, hey, here's this marketing playbook, but what are we trying, you know, are we trying to validate product market fit? Are we trying to, you know, scale um, demand, which we're always trying to do? How are we trying to position ourselves in the market? Are we trying to create a category or redefine a category or just be a major player? And that usually results in, oh, here's the things we need to prioritize. And in every situation for me has happened to have been different. And sometimes it starts with, you know, the product market fit, which typically leans more into product marketing areas. And that's where, okay, let me study, figure this out, find the best people, you know, build the best team, learn with them. And then, you know, you could go area by area, you know, like one example, like at higher view, one of the, first, even though we were early, like a question I get a lot, Hey, what's the first area of marketing you build? And I'm like, it told, it literally depends. And in every situation for me, it's been different. And in that case, the company had come on to something really interesting and had landed some huge logos and they were such advocates. I'm like this, we could create a whole, but it's a category creation, right? So, so like the first area to build was customer marketing, you know, which is usually, usually people build that late. I'm like, no, because there's something here. We ha we bought, we're bottling, we have something, how do we bottle it up? And this is an industry that is very peer driven and based on consensus and through word of mouth. So let's take these customer customers we have package up their stories and use that to create a domino effect. And um, now the then the next company, you know, like at Zenefits, uh, it was, wasn't building that <laughs> first. We already had uh, that covered, but there were other challenges we had to shift the model from paid marketing to organic for example and diversify paid and um, build a content engine and so that was that was the strategy there so each situation is different but my point is like having to dive into those areas helped me learn so much and to this day i continue to learn right like it's it's everything's evolving and changing and i think the more we can push ourselves into different areas of marketing and that can be within one category can be within demand and brand um, but I think even broader than that, I think even, you know, now I'm trying to push myself into other areas and understanding how do we apply marketing, not just to acquire the customers, but like full life cycle. And I think that's an under tapped area in marketing that I see a lot is that we focus so much on acquisition, but how much we focus on expansion and what new plays and how do we work alongside CX teams, you know, account management and apply things like product led growth to expansion. And I think anyways, um, there's so much opportunity. No, it's all good. You're teeing up the second half of this podcast perfectly. And we're pretty much at that point to take a break and hear from our sponsor. So we'll do that and dig deeper on expansion and go to marketplace coming right back with Kevin. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. 
Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So I want to be careful not to sit here and label Kevin as this brand only marketer, but there's no question that he places a lot of emphasis on the role of building a brand and how we perceive one. And I think that's important when we look at some of the biggest and most successful companies out there, their brand is definitely a part of setting themselves as a market leader. You look at the role that brand building played at Zenefits for Kevin and how it allowed them to position themselves. You look at how a brand play elevated a company like HireVue to the point that they had tremendous growth at over 4,000% year over year. And even look at how it impacted Taleo, which was later acquired by Oracle. I'm not suggesting that brand is the only important factor or that you don't also have to balance that with demand metrics. But a big part of how you get there is your brand, how your brand is perceived by your company by the public and ultimately perhaps the market and those acquire you is all part of the story that you tell and the story that is formed around your success. For everyone listening at home, I'm going to set the scene because you don't have video, but I'm looking behind Kevin and I see a ton of fun. You've got some amazing Lego figurines in the background. I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say figurines. These are masterpieces. And then above you are the words, work hard in silence. Let success be the noise. It's a great line and it's displayed on a mock-up of a stereo amplifier in art form. I hope you can all visualize this because, oh, wait, uh, right now, Kevin is even lighting up the Lego figurines, which is even better. So as I heighten people's senses, they're probably starting to want a video feed. But the real serious question that comes here, how do you make yourself as approachable as a brand as you seem to be doing as a CMO? I think it comes down to every way you present yourself. As, as a brand and that's the tone you know how how do you speak are you using you know enterprise software jargon uh, and everything or using plain speak and using you know language in every channel uh in your content your website that's the everyday language they're using in their lives and their businesses you know how you your look and feel do you look like you know, what, what's your brand? What's your identity? Are you, you know, and that depends, right? And, but you want to present that in a way that's authentic and that relates well to your audience. And then, you know, through what you do and, and, you know, what you do and how you do it from a marketing standpoint, for example, what type of content are you producing? Are you sharing? How are you sharing that? What are you asking for in return of that? How are you allowing customers to experience that? And that's, that, that can say a lot, you know, are you doing it the same way that, you know, they experienced, you know, 15, 20 years ago at, you know, from whatever company, are you doing it in a new way that is better fit for the modern way that users want to consume information? And that, 
I think that's people think of brand, right? Like, oh, the traditional top-down branding. What's our, you know, our, let me see the brand guide and the style guide, and then that's going to funnel down. And here's the ad. Yeah, no. Like, I mean, because it's the end of the day, that whole world's flipped upside down. People are coming to you through, they're searching for some term and hopefully you're discoverable. And there's, you know, thousands, you know, if not millions of touch points happening, you know, every month, if, if you know, if we're doing our jobs right. And it's, so it's, it's, it's those, like, how, what are those touch points like? And that comes down to every, you know, you know, every channel. And I think that's the overlooked thing. How does brand actually manifest it itself? I'm excited to hear some of these examples, but before we go there, I'm going to really set the scene for what you've done, because if you look at the companies you've been with, HireVue in the recruitment space, Zenefits is Benefits, and Tebrad now in the medical space, I mean, those sound like some of the most boring industries ever. No offense to you or anyone working in them. But if you look at these brands, to your point, I'm like, I would have loved to be on these journeys. I would have loved to help build these companies to where they've got into and where they're still maybe going to. So you were lining up the importance of content in this. Is this an old madman approach to make these brands sexy or is there a different approach that you find works with the content at play? It's a bit of both, honestly. By the way, no offense taken, it's funny. This became a, I feel like, I feel like now part of my career is going to these legacy <laughs> stale industries that are old school and trying to, you know, uh, shake them up. You know, it's funny, you used a term that I've literally used with, you know, multiple teams. And it's like, hey, how do we make this sexy? And because the reality is whether it's, you look, you can't build a company unless you can recruit people, you know, benefits is critical to employees and a key component in any business. But the the situations surrounding those things were just like, it was almost looked at like a tax, like from a workflow and, oh my gosh, this is, this is like going to the DMV and it, why does it, it doesn't, shouldn't it be that way? How can we, you know, reinvent that? And you, you need, marketing needs to be a part of that. Like it, marketing's basically, we got to say, hey, there's, we're going to shake this up. This is something that you might, that might be seen as a chore and just by appearing and sounding different, you're kind of saying, you know, to your users, like, "Hey, we're gonna, we're sh shaking things up here." And I love that. Can you give us a tactical example of that? Can be something you've done at one of these companies or something you're planning. I know at Tebra, you're only about five months in, so there's likely a lot of strategy at this point. But anything from your career where you've gone in with content and you've engaged people in a way they didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think it t starts with mindset. I first try to like challenge myself, like, hey, it's easy to just come with the same old playbook that everybody runs, right? And I usually try to step back and see like, how do we shake this up in a way that's a win-win-win for everybody, right? And usually like thinking about even team building, like, hey, let's not think about this like a B2B company. Let's think about like we're a consumer marketing company, right? And, you know, what would a consumer brand do? How would they approach this? How would they get in front of their audience, right? Because our people at the end of the day, it's not businesses actually buying, it's people. And we've, we're competing for Mindshare against every other company. And so it starts with that type of a mindset. And then, you know, HireVue, for example, 
you know, we were looking at, hey, what can we do different? Like in everything, we try to challenge it. So user conference, everyone calls their thing blank world, you know, it's like Oracle world and, you know, Dreamforce, Salesforce did, you know, they played off their name pretty cool. But instead of calling it some name, we're like, no, let's call it something disruptive. We called it digital disruption. And it became all about disruption. So every like touch point, we tried to think different and do, you know, make it different. And so instead of doing, you know, every, a lot of people were really heavy in email then. And of course we had that as part of our system, but we actually kind of early went to direct mail. Now that's back, right? Um, there's so many, you know, slick tools like Sendoso, et cetera, but this was way before that. And so we built, like we made a game and it was like, here's how recruiting works. And it was literally like a, think like a little mini, like monopoly or life game. And we made a, a board game and put it in a box and then, you know, ship those to our ICPs. And um, so we're like, instead of sending some, something silly, you know, we're going to, let's send them a game. And we did a, you know, we had a social campaign and Cards Against Humanity was just coming out. So we created a- (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I've got a few of those decks sent my way by different brands. It's a great campaign. Yeah, and we made our own. It was called Cards Against HR. And we actually made fun of our own industry. Like, and people globbed onto it. And we we would do a show for a trade show. And there'd be a line waiting for the, the Cards Against HR because of all the funny cards and memes that are making fun you know, it's the same stuff people are having in their hallway water cooler conversations. We just exposed it in a game. And then, you know, an example of Zenefits to you know do things differently. You know, we launched, you know, is, we were trying to make a shift from paid marketing to organic. We launched a media site, like a whole, like full blown with managing editor and, and everything. And, and, and the goal was to help people. So instead of just advertising to them, you know, again, kind of trying to help them. And uh, some ways that, that tied to the brand and have different things. So these are exciting, bold ideas, and I don't want to be the downer on big ideas, but as CMO, you also have to answer to ROI and general accountability. And some of these are going to be tough to measure without question. I mean, the direct mail play, yes, there's a way to figure out attribution and map, ideally, but others are tricky. Do you feel this is something you get to do at companies of the scale that you've been at? Or is it that they elevate all the other demand gen plays that are more attributable? I guess like what I'm asking, can you do this at any stage company? I think you can do it at any stage company. Uh, and sometimes scarcity can drive innovation. You know, early in my career, um, I was at a company, we were like to start off, we were like the number 10. We eventually became the number two, but we like the, our big competitors had raised a ton of capital. Um, we were bootstrapping the company early and, you know, didn't raise money till late. So we were competing. It's like David and Goliath, right? So we're like, I'll never have their marketing budget and be able to do the types of things they do and run their types of experiments. So let's, let's try to get scrappy and creative and do it. And so like they're producing these big, big budget videos. And I'm like, you know, we all taught ourselves how to, you know, we, we bought a little camera and produce our own videos and would do it all internally with our own team. Like we couldn't, you know, we ended up doing our own, instead of doing stock photography, let's just shoot our own people. And guess what? That like, it, you know, it works. So I think you can be scrappy and creative. Now, as you scale up, I think it's important to keep that scrappy, you know, in a, innovative mentality and keep experimenting and trying. And, and then you can run, you know, bigger, bigger scale experiments. So with your bold approach to marketing, and again, people are only experiencing audio here, but I'm having fun watching your background still as we go. The entire conversation we're having truly is fun, and that's simply who you are 
and how you execute. So how do you make sure the CEO who's hiring you is on board with this type of marketing? As you said, moving away from enterprise jargon to a consumer brand mindset. That's such a great question. And I think it's so important. And I think it's a mistake that I've, a lot of peers that I talk to have get in this situation. And I've had some, like the percentage of my, hey, grab a coffee drink or meal. And like, I just need, you know, it, 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 with like a peer. And it's, these are the tough ones. It's like, here's what I'm dealing with, with this, you know, and it's, I, those are tough. And I think I come back to, you know, a couple of things. First, upfront, I try to align on this upfront. I'll never go into an opportunity until I feel I'm fully aligned and vice versa with the CEO and with the board on like our mindset and thought process. And hey, here's some bets we want to make at a high level. If you're, you know, it takes some time, right, to get in and understand exactly what plays to run, uh, what levers. But hopefully you at least want some levers to be pulled and kind of aligned on philosophies. And that could be risk profile, level of disruption, obviously what needs to be done and making sure you're a fit for that and that that's truly what's needed. So I try to level set on that uh, upfront and, and, and get a feel for appetite for experimentation, risk, and just really what's needed. So I think that's the first step, trying to align on that upfront. And then the second is being sure to take the CEO and the rest of the leadership on the journey with you. And, and like, I think all these things need to be started with, a you know, why? And f first of all, it's like, hey, like part of it, think about marketing, like it's about finding an edge. It's about, you know, finding that next new way to do something. That's what enables us to differentiate and find better economics and better experiences. And so to me, that's all about experimentation and taking some risk. If you weren't, you just, it'd be commoditized and you wouldn't need creative thinking to do it. You know, a robot could do it. So I think like level setting on that. And then when we're running experiments, when we're making bets calculated with data and insights, you know, taking them on the journey, here's what we're doing here, and why, um, and re reporting back the results early and often. And if, and, and, the out, and the desired outcomes, right? It might not just be, hey, here, we're trying to drive a 2.45x ROI on this and reduce CAC ratio from this. It could be, hey, we need more awareness. You know, we're launching... For example, like at Tebra, it's a new brand. Like we, there are two companies with established brands that have been in the market. One had been in the market for a good while. Other one's a little bit newer, but that we're, we're starting over from a brand equity. So we had to line on, hey, we, we have to make some investments um, in time, resources, and focus on, you know, building, you know, brand awareness and strength and, you know, and, and, and aligning on the rationale why. Absolutely. It's an exciting opportunity and challenge. I'm super excited for all you've got ahead with this brand. We want to keep you around, Kevin. We're going to take one more quick break here. I've got a few rapid fire questions teed up. We'll be right back in a moment. I already painted for you what I was watching the entire time while Kevin and I chatted right behind him, fun Lego figurines and all that. This is someone who presents himself in an approachable way. Someone you may expect to be representing a brand more like Pepsi than say a healthcare company. And I think that's part of what makes him so genuine. This is a person who leads in the same way with their marketing and programs too. 
As he explained, it's questionable whether people always want that enterprise first jargon, or if there's an opportunity to be a relatable brand that's going to get people to lean in. Now, I'm not suggesting you need to go and take a page out of every consumer play for every play you have, but make sure people perceive you as approachable and someone they want to work with and build a relationship with. This is just as important as getting into the weeds of product marketing, as Kevin explains. Now go challenge your team. Look at how you're perceived in the market versus your competitors and how you can stand out in ways that might make you feel uncomfortable, but might just be exactly what people are looking for. Kevin, I am loving your journey, but we're not done yet. I've got a few rapid fire questions for you. And the first is to get you to think about the next CMO, the person listening to this podcast, aspiring to get there. What is the best path for them today? Is it to go really deep in the area of marketing that they're passionate about? Or is it for them to be more of a broad generalist? A little bit of a hybrid of the two, not to fade out on your question, but know what you're good at and and what your superpower is but quickly parlay that into building you know going across because it's important to understand in each area what good looks like doesn't mean you necessarily need to know exactly the details of how to do there you know to get there and to do it but it is important to know what what good looks like so i think that's the important piece and the other the finals like the leadership you know because in any situation you know investing in you know, leadership, and you're always going to have to bring and pull a team together uh, to, to climb the mountain. That's a great point. Honestly, that's an area I don't think we often talk about or hear about when we think about what's our marketing superpower. Just being a powerful leader is so essential. The next question for you comes down to content. We kind of breeze through content as you talk through some of the campaign approaches earlier, but what type of content gets you to click through these days? Something that's insightful, entertaining, or on point. And the on point's like top of mind because I'm it's keeping me up. I'm thinking about it as a problem I know I need to solve. But those tend to be the three buckets. Interesting. I've got to say I'm not surprised by the entertaining or engaging element given everything we've talked about today. That need to stand out is absolutely key. One of the areas a lot of marketers talk about when we talk about standing out is personalization. I'm curious, what does personalization mean to you today when we're running these consumer-like plays in a B2B setting? The personalization to me means understanding as much about a user as we can. And that's from first touch point, where they came from, their digital body language. And so it's explicit and implicit, like what we can infer and then tailoring as best we can along the entire journey, you know, right from the first step, presenting what we think is most relevant to them, helping them with what we perceive to be their biggest problems, challenges, and opportunities, and then continuing that um, along every step of the, the journey. So. Yeah, that's 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 what it means. No longer going generic, but really trying to have personalized paths. And that's methods of communication, the actual communications themselves, the content itself, and you know, different ways of, of presenting that. So this is usually the hardest question of the day, and that is balancing personal and work. 
And the irony is, as I'm asking you this, you've had an amazingly cute little visitor join our screen. Again, I hate no video today, but you've somehow balanced speaking so eloquently and still have what I'm going to assume is your little kids sit on your lap in the last minutes. So I guess my question is, how do you balance this? And both of you are free to answer this at this point. I've never had this opportunity to interview two people from the same household. I found for me personally, I think everyone has to find what works for them, but I've tried to find this level of work-life integration where I'm able to be my whole self, who I am, um, you know, with my family and in my workspace and also create that, you know, those opportunities for my teams. And for me, you know, I have the saying, I don't care when you work or where you work, as long as it's getting done. And I think I just try to level set that with everybody. And by the way, I try to level set that with the, my, my peers and et cetera too, because in today's world, I just find that I found that actually now after doing this a number of times, like to be like the best approach that number one broadens your aperture of talent that you, cause if, if you don't care where or when they work and that you can get the best person, I find that just to be a win, win, win. And then that also is good for the individual to find the balance. So if they need to take off, for a few hours in the middle of the day for their kids or for themselves, they can do it. And, you know, and, 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 and carrying that over. So I, I, that's the approach I've, the culture, work culture, uh, I've tried to create where there's flexibility. I found that just key and then encouraging people to take care of themselves and their families too. And sometimes you have to, you know, you have to prod that. Like one thing I try to track is, Hey, when's this person, when was the last time this person took a vacation or a weekend off? And, you know, you can usually track that in your systems and encourage it. Um, and sometimes I'll, someone sprints on three months on a project, I will, you know, get them a, hey, this, here's, here's something for you or you and your family. And you got to push them to make that balance. Absolutely. I mean, you seem to have it mastered and I'm going to try to be careful with my language because you have a kid in the room, but I often hear a lot of bologna sandwiches from people when they speak to this but you're clearly living it on your side. Yet it's a different thing to get others to find that balance within your team. And it sounds like that's a big part of your leadership style. And this entire episode, you've definitely demonstrated that. So Kevin, I can't thank you enough. We have to wrap this, but so much more that people could probably learn from you. And I hope they will follow along on your LinkedIn or wherever you may post next. If you've tuned into this episode for the first time and caught Kevin's journey, check out all the other marketers that we've had. Every CMO has a unique journey, a unique story. I think you can learn from everyone. Hopefully you're enjoying your own journey and one day maybe you'll be on here to share it. Thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.